1: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Yolitics. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. We This is a field trip. This is rare for us. But we uh, hopped on a Southwest flight. We flew to San Antonio. We were at a... One of the coolest bars I've never been to in Texas, Mm -hmm. the St. Anthony Hotel Bar. And you walk in this place, it's like a time warp.
1: It is. Uh, It is. It's right there in downtown San Antonio. Three blocks from the Alamo. Beautiful hotel. And then you walk back into this bar, and it is. It's it's a time capsule. looks like it hasn't been touched in quite a while. And this isn't random uh, that we decided to come to this bar (laughs) in this city uh, because something very extraordinary happened here many years ago, and it is still printed on the back of the the, the bar napkins, napkins that they yeah. use here uh the bev naps as we used to call in the industry when i was a bartender you were a bartender huh? i was a bartender at one that. point different wow. lifetime uh and 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 it's a triangle that's written on this napkin and uh it's got dallas houston and san antonio uh and in the middle of the triangle it says where it all began
0: and this is where uh southwest airlines began the largest domestic carrier in the united states and let's get right to our guest Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest, is here with us, having a water. We're going to actually crack open a uh, our Texas beers. We had to look at the list. And what are you having, man? I'm having a Carbach
1: Crawford Bach, and it has uh, the old Houston Astros uh, jersey logo on it. On it the is. Front. I-, I love that logo.
0: This is the uh, the Alamo uh, Golden Ale, of course, from San Antonio. Can you say San Antonio or is that... No. You can't. San Antonio.
1: San Antonio. Yes. that's it. Gary, wouldn't you agree that that is a very country thing is to it? call San Antonio San Antone?
2: Uh, it's, it's it's just not correct. Now, <laughs> and Gary's you can say from San here. Antonio, you know you can Antonia. kind of
1: compress it like that.
0: But uh,
2: San Antonio. I love that works, we so.
0: start a podcast like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm yeah.
2: glad to be Perfect. here with y'all. Thank now, you. We say y'all down here in San Antonio. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Uh, we, we appreciate the time with you. Have you been to this bar? Because this is the famous bar where Herb Kelleher and Roland King would come and brainstorm ideas on, on businesses and develop the idea of Southwest Airlines. You're from here. Did you ever roll into this no, place? I never, you never sure have.
2: No. Now remember, I, I grew up here, so I was in high school. Hmm. So I'm not going to admit to you now that I was at the St. <laughs> Anthony Bar when I was. You're in retiring. High Why not? You're so, retiring. But uh, no, you know, uh, it, it. But I've been to the St. Anthony Hotel since, hmm. but not when I was living here. As a youth, uh,
1: and the reason that we we bring up the beverage napkins here is because uh, the the story is that Herb Kelleher drew this up on the back of a napkin. The whole idea, the whole concept for Southwest Airlines, uh, and it all started on the back of a napkin, like so many amazing ideas over the years.
2: So he was the uh, attorney for Rollin King. Rollin brought him this idea and um, asked him, you know, if if he was interested in of doing pro bono legal services to help get the airplane off the ground, no pun intended. And mm. and uh, the legend goes, halt, Rollin, you're crazy, let's do it. So, um,
1: yeah, that's where it happened, right here at St. Anthony Hotel, and the rest is history. And we take so much for granted, I think, you know, and, and, and we you know don't understand the importance of a Southwest Airlines because we've sort of grown up in this culture here. Back then, this was a revolutionary, kind of radical idea, and it has changed how we travel.
2: Yeah, it was a big deal, and you know what they were taking advantage of was the intrastate um, commercial airline rules were different than interstate. And you could set your own schedules, you could set your own pricing, because in those days those things were regulated by the federal government. So you weren't free to add flights, you weren't free to price the flights the way you wanted to unless you were intrastate. Texas was big enough, California was big enough where they had intrastate uh, uh, ideas like that. But they had very low cost. They had great service. And, um, you know, started out just serving three cities. And that was in 1971. They didn't even add a fourth city until four years later. It was Hmm. 1975, and it was
0: Harlingen. Hmm. And you guys just added 18 cities uh, here since the (laughs) pandemic began. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I was curious about the the cocktail napkin. Did that really happen, or is that lore? Well, you know... You know, both both of them have passed on. So, <laughs>
2: so who I, knows? It, right? I have read that Rollins says it didn't happen, and Herb swears it did. So, I'm my votes with Herb. It's right here. It's yep. on this napkin. Apparently, it, so it, it happened. There, there it is. It is. So and and it apparently,
0: is. it happened
1: over a wild turkey. <laughs> oh, oh, had to. That's right. <laughs> that, that,
0: that's what Herb would drink. Let, let's uh, let, let's get into some of the news of the day. You guys uh, experienced some trouble earlier in the year with the, the staffing shortages. What happened in Florida? It really backed things up in the Southwest system. You've taken measures now uh, as we go into the holidays to address that. You've cut flights. That gives you a, a wider margin with staffing. What are you concerned about as we go into the next four weeks? Any, anything? Do you feel pretty confident with this plan, or is there anything still in the back that you're like, ah, really, fingers crossed I, on this? You
2: know, I feel very confident in the plan, and I, I think the, the one caveat is, is what the three of us know, which is things are just different. You know, and we were humming right along pre-pandemic, and then there was a real shock to the system, a shock to the world. All the supply chains around the world are still not back in sync. And, um, you know, a lot of people have exited the workforce. Uh, and a lot of people that are in the workforce aren't working at the, to the same degree that they were before in terms of hours. So it's very prevalent. It's not unique to Southwest or the airline industry. It's just throughout all sectors. So I think until we get uh, some trends that we're all confident with, I think, yeah, there, there's a need to be, uh, cautious and that's the way we're approaching this. So we were well planned coming into the year and things just didn't work out, you know? So in the end I was too aggressive with our flight schedule. So we've made some adjustments there. We're continuing to hire, but even the pace of hiring is not what we're accustomed to. It just takes triple the effort to uh, land uh, one new hire. So, um, except for the uh, people aspect of our business, other areas are running pretty well. In other words, we can buy jet fuel where we need it. We have access to airplanes where we need it. Our airports are uh, operating uh, smoothly. The TSA is doing a fine job. Uh, and for the, most, for the most part, air traffic controllers are doing a very fine job. You know? So uh, it's, a, it's a big, broad, complicated ecosystem that all has to come together. Uh, and a lot of logistics, but I was very pleased with Thanksgiving. Uh, the month of November has been very, very solid, and um, yeah, I'm feeling good about uh where you know where we go from here. The weather has been good. That helps. And weather uh, has a huge uh, effect on an airline.
1: The thing that stands out to me, and that is the part where you say that it takes so much longer to, to get someone hired on and into the system. Southwest has been you know, one of these best places to work for so long, uh, and it's been a sought-after place for people to find employment. So that, you know, if you guys are having problems, that really does speak to what's going on in the labor industry.
2: Yeah, and we're still a preferred employer, and uh, we still have very enthusiastic new hires coming into the company. Um, but there's just, just a smaller pool of candidates and pilots are one thing, you know, so they're highly skilled, uh, and they're dedicated obviously to flying for airlines. Um, many other positions that we have, we're competing with other sectors. We're not just competing against other airlines for hiring. We're competing against Amazon or Home Depot or, or UPS. I mean, you name it. So there's, um, there's, just, there's, a lot, there's millions of people out of the workforce that have not come back yet. Uh, there's probably a million different reasons why, but um, you know, we
0: just need to adjust and plan accordingly, and, and we've done that. Southwest was doing terrific with leisure travel this summer, as everyone uh, was. Then the Delta variant comes in, kind of messes things up, that stabilizes. Now Omicron is out there. What you, what are you looking at to that? Does that concern you at all as we go into the, uh, these winter months here? You
2: know, I think you summed it up well. Um, we were really encouraged with the, you know, advent of the vaccine and then travel demand began to pick up in the spring and we thought, all right, you know, we're, we're on our way to uh, getting this whole pandemic behind us. Um, and so it, it's gone through waves, oddly enough, There seems to be a wave every several months. It seems to last, you know, a little less than than two months. So we've kind of, we've been of the mindset that we're, well, we're gonna get another wave here because this thing is predictable in an unpredictable way, I guess uh, you would say. But I think as time has gone by, the Delta variant did knock us off course somewhat, but it was so much better than a year ago. So in other words, I think people have sort of adjusted their mindset to living in an endemic uh, instead of a pandemic. And yes, I do think that another wave will dampen the demand, but nothing like what we saw in 2020. Uh, and and the, if the federal government messaging right now is let's not panic. And I do think that that's helpful because I think the worst thing that would happen for travel and tourism is the lockdowns and the shutdowns. Uh, That's not likely,
0: though, is it again? It
2: doesn't appear that it will be. I think most people have concluded that that didn't do much. It did more harm than it did good. And um, there's probably no one right answer in all of this, but I think the demand is going to be fine. Uh, it'll, It'll be impacted clearly if we have another surge in cases. The thing that we're mostly focused on is just making sure we pay attention to what we can control. Let's run a good operation. Let's make sure that we have proper staffing in place. Make sure we take good care of our people and in, in turn, take good care of our customers. And uh, I feel like we're well positioned to do that. We're just going to have to be more conservative in our plans for 2022 than, than I would like. Because we have all kinds of things we want to do. We've got airplanes, we've got cash, we've got the airport facilities in place. We just need to, you know, that fourth piece is we just need to make sure we have all the the right people. What what do you want to do
0: with the airplanes and the cash and the airports that uh, you might not be able to to get to?
2: Well, if you go back, you you mentioned the 18 cities. So you go back pre-pandemic, we had far, far, far more departures a day between Dallas and San Antonio than what we have right now. So we would like to restore our flight frequencies, and especially in our business markets like a Dallas-San Antonio, to something close to where we were uh, in, in two thousand and nineteen let 's say what we 've done is we 've taken a lot of those frequencies out during the pandemic because you didn 't need them right. i mean there were there was just not no demand. One was flying, yeah and we reallocated those airplanes um, to add these new destinations, mostly leisure oriented and at least we 're putting idle assets to work and we 've added eighteen great new destinations i 'll bet you that 's seventy airplanes worth of flying, and so now. That's what we'll do with the next 70 airplanes, in other words, we'll add flights back into our network and get that depth in place again. Uh, and it does a couple of things for us. It um, certainly provides more convenient flight times for travelers and puts more seats, You know, assuming that the demand is going to be there. And we do have to make a guess about that, but we think that it will. But when we do get into weather delays, Having more flights is helpful in getting people where they want to go because if you miss one flight, there's another one not too, too long afterwards. And we also, it puts us in a position where we also don't have to hold flights waiting on late arriving equipment. We can put that arriving uh, passenger on a later flight. So it just gives us a lot better uh, capabilities in terms of keeping the airline um, intact, the, the network intact And
1: keeping it more on time. Yeah, beefing up that schedule certainly does make a difference. Uh, Since this is a political podcast, uh, I want to venture into that realm just a little bit with you here uh, and and talk about what a lot of people call social responsibility. Um, Southwest has spoken generally about uh, things like voting rights, voting restrictions, that sort of thing. But some other airlines, some of your competitors went further uh, than Southwest did. There are people who say that you need to be using your heft at the table more in Austin. And then there are others like the Lieutenant Governor even who says that you know companies really ought to butt out. What is your take on that? And, and are there, do you have any regrets that you haven't pushed further than some of the, the competitors have? No,
2: no regrets. And um, I suppose I'm old school in this, but the way I look at it, we're, we're trying to be welcoming to everybody. We're not just trying to serve Republicans. We're we're not just trying to serve Democrats. And you pick this side versus that side. And then, you know, what we try to do is the right thing. And sometimes that's in the eye of the beholder. So that's whether it's uh, supporting our employees and various causes that they have, but we try to welcome everyone and serve everyone. And treat everybody with respect. I think that that's the main thing that's missing from our society. It's you're either you're either here or here, and there is no way to compromise or have any middle ground. Things that have that, that are germane to our business, uh, absolutely, we will weigh in. But um, look, we we need to be focused on operating a safe and efficient and prosperous airline That is the best way we can serve our communities. And that that's been my philosophy. Uh, so there are things that, and ultimately we're all U S citizens and we all, we all care about these things. But as you said, this is a podcast about politics. That's what we're talking about is politics. We're not politicians. We are an airline, and we're here to make sure that we take good care of our employees
0: who in turn we want to serve our customers exceptionally well. How do we get beyond the divisiveness, though, do you think, Gary? Because you send a message to employees, you know, suggesting, hey, let's, you know, do the golden rule, I believe is your right. words. Treat right. others like you want to be treated. It, it just seems like we've gotten, the society has gotten into this spiral that we can't get out of.
2: Well, and one of the things, one of my themes for years has been civility. And, you know, our country was founded on the notion of dissent, and uh, you know, we have disagreements and yet we find a way as a country, as messy as it has been, to have a democracy you know, for centuries now. And so I, I just think it, is, it really is the golden rule. It is treating people with respect. It's tolerating different views that you don't agree with. And um, unless people are willing to listen, and think about a cause that's greater than just their own or themselves, uh, will continue just, to, I think, to have arguments and not make any progress. So I think leadership would help. Uh, and I think promoting um, a, a, a discussion of ideas rather than name-calling would be a lot more productive. But uh, it all, to me, it's just a matter of respect and uh, civility.
1: There hasn't been a lot of civility or golden rule treatment when it comes to a lot of flight attendants this year, though. There's been a lot of violence in the skies. Uh, Do you think that the federal government needs to do more to stiffen the penalties, to make it— to make people think twice before doing something like that because we just keep seeing it over and over again. Is that a cage you've been rattling with with the federal government? You know, just to
2: establish the facts, what you say is accurate. There are more. There are more incidents. They are still very few. So just for a perspective, I fly all the time. I've yet to be on a flight where there was an, an issue. When there is an issue, it's very high profile. And they are up triple, quadruple, you know, in terms of nun- uh, numbers, but, they're, but they, don't, they don't number in the hundreds of thousands of incidents. So just as a perspective. The bad thing, though, is it puts everybody more on edge because they just never know from one flight to the next what they're going to encounter. So I'm not for a minute uh, trying to suggest that there's not an issue here because there is. But the good news is The odds are heavily in one's favor that uh, you're not going to have any problem or any misbehavior. But every day, uh, we're going to have a dozen instances of, I'm going to call it a minor altercation. that just shouldn't be happening. You know, it just shouldn't be happening. And, you know, two years ago, it it might be two. So, yeah, I do think that there's, uh, uh, you know, there's a a possibility that we could do more as a country to – to prosecute these cases, I think the FAA has definitely stepped up uh, in 2021, at, and I think that it would be uh, it would be logical to consider whether more could be done. One of the things that's being promoted uh, by several uh, of the uh, airline unions is the notion of a no-fly list for customers, and that that would have to be managed by the federal government. You know, it's not anything that we can easily. Because we're competitors, it's hard to share that information, and you have differing standards. So you have one airline who might have thousands of people on the on a no-fly list, and another airline, in an equivalent size, it might have a hundred.
1: You know, if, so if the federal government could work out details on that, though, is that something that you would support the idea of that?
2: I think anything that we can do to support our people uh, and and protect our customers. Uh, that is sensible would would absolutely uh, be be very welcome so far i don't know i don't I haven't heard an idea or haven't come up with an idea that uh, that is any better than what we're doing now but it is a it is a topic and I think worthy of consideration
0: no question gary business travel is has not come back to the numbers that you guys would want you guys are, are working hard to try to expand the business offerings uh, I'm curious how much you think um, Zoom video conferencing. Uh, how much has has this changed the way businesses operate, and whether they take those trips at the last minute and pay those those fares that so many airlines like Southwest find so lucrative and easy? Well,
2: I, I think it's changed things a lot. And,
0: uh, will that, will that will it turn around at all? Do you think people will get tired of Zoom and want to go back I, to you know? In person? I,
2: I think we'll begin to revert back to pre-pandemic, but um, I don't think anybody would be shocked if we never get there. It's one of these imponderables; nobody really knows, and I'm not I'm one to prognosticate, you know, uh, things like that. All I can do really is plan, and so I think uh, our folks are going to be conservative in assuming. Um, a business travel recovery. The other the other aspect of your question, uh, Jason, to me is what are companies going to do in terms of returning to the office? So I think that that also uh, has an impact. If, in other words, if you have people that aren't in the office, there's no reason to travel to go see them because they're at home. So all, all of this is complicated. And um I think most people are assuming that we might get back to maybe 80% of what it used to be. How long a, uh, Five years.
0: Five years?
2: It could be by the end of next year. I think fi- within five years is a, a decent guess. The only frame of reference we really have to go on, and it's not a good one, is a recession. So businesses are very disciplined compared to consumers. So in a recession, if your profits are down... You start cutting costs. What's the first thing you cut? I'm going to cut travel and maybe uh, training and, you know, the things that are considered to be discretionary. Well, it drops very sharply. And then on average, during a recession, it takes five years to recover mm. to pre-recession levels. So as a rule of thumb, you could say, well, maybe this will take five years, but there's no law that says it won't be 10 years. Uh, I got to believe it never is a really long time. So eventually I think business travel will return. But uh, I just wouldn't put all of our chips on that. Now, in the meantime, selfishly for us, we have a new thrust into the big corporate managed travel markets, uh, and I'm very excited about that. So the three legacy carriers have been the only ones playing Uh, in that space up to this point. And so now we've joined these global distribution systems and made it easy for the big corporates to book on Southwest. That wasn't there before. It was not there before. And even with that, we we still had 35%, 40% of our customers were business travelers. So Mm -hmm. I would argue we're the the largest business uh, business airline in the country, is my guess. And there's no way to know that for certain. But certainly not with the big corporates. So now I think we've got an opportunity to gain a a higher percentage of business travelers than our competitors because it's a new source of
1: uh, customers for us. But it takes a while to bring that uh, business travel back, but at least you're working in that direction. Meantime, uh, you know, leisure travel has picked up uh, pretty nicely this year. You mentioned the, the numbers over Thanksgiving and in November looking much better. You've had a couple of strong quarters. When do you think Southwest gets to the point where it is profitable on its own again without the need for the COVID-19 federal funds that have come along to help the airlines out?
2: Well, we had a profitable June. We had a profitable July. The Delta variant um, hurt us a lot relative to our profit target because we had a lot of seats out there. And had we been less aggressive, Um, I think we would have had a better chance at at, uh, profitability. On the other hand, if, you know, the Delta variant hadn't been there, I think we would have been handsomely profitable in third quarter, which I'm not trying to make an excuse, just trying to give you a sense of, hey, that's a pretty decent environment that we have uh, to look forward to. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't give up on the fourth quarter here, you know, being profitable. Um, That was not... I didn't I don't think that that was the more likely scenario uh, coming into that. And next year, we're just going to have to see. It's really again, as you have probably heard from us um, throughout the pandemic, it's the hardest time in my career to try to forecast anything because the world is just so unpredictable uh, in so many different ways. But um, I think I think the best way to answer your question is I think we're close. And whether we hit it in the fourth quarter or the first quarter, uh, you know, Obviously, it's important, but the the main thing that I'm focused on is let's run a good operation. Let's hit our staffing targets. uh, Let's serve our customers well. Uh, The demand is it's going to be there, and uh, whether it's now or or whether it's three months from now.
0: is in the grand scheme of things, not so important, but we're close. You talked about, uh, the, the push for business travel, what you guys are doing to try to get the, you know, bring the corporations on board with the different uh, computer systems. Uh, you talked about the, the number of, uh, uh, you know, increasing frequency between these major cities. What's the next big area of growth. Every time I see you, Gary, I think I ask you, are you going to start flying the seven three seven max eight from London to, I mean, from New York to London, Or to South America. I mean, it has a range for it now. The MAX 8 clearly does. Um, Is that that something that you guys have thought about? Or even South America? I I know the MAX 7 has even
2: greater range. Right. It has basically the same engines in a smaller airplane. Well, um, we just, it's, it's, again, what we've been talking about. We've added 18 destinations. Domestic. And um, we've got really boring stuff that needs to be done to restore our network. So we don't feel like we'll be adding any new cities for quite some time. It's it's as if we've accelerated all these new city openings, uh, and you know some of them are pretty exciting. It may not be as exciting as London, but uh, but a lot of people are excited about Bozeman, Montana, and you know Sarasota, Florida, and Myrtle Beach, and and a, a bunch of fun places. Um, so eventually, we you know we're at 121 destinations right now. We need to create depth in that existing network beyond that i'll bet you there's 50 more cities that we can add to our route network in the u.s and i would say north and south america so okay. yes about south america i think south america is more realistic than london um i don't know that the 737 is the right equipment competitively you know in transatlantic markets but um we have so many things that we can do it's it's the, the hard question for us is, how do you prioritize all of that? So we've gotten into Hawaii, and that was a big deal. And we've got a lot of capacity deployed there. So I'm really proud of that route network. And now it needs to develop and uh, produce profits. Uh, some of our other markets, again, uh, we've added. But uh, whether it's restoring you know, previous uh, frequencies or fully developing these new market opportunities, there's just work to be done there before we start adding a lot of new dots to the
0: map. Would the 7.3, if you guys do add new dots to the map, Gary, would the 7.3 be the be the aircraft to do that for like South America? Yes. It, it, it would be. Yes. I know you, you, you were talking about the uh, uh, Airbus 220, A220 uh, earlier this year. And
2: we settled that question. So, in other words, when we, when we announced our deal with Boeing right. in March, that settled the A220 question because that was a deal for the MAX 7, which is the right. equip- more or less equivalent or competitive aircraft to the Airbus. And I think that, that Boeing deal was one of the more important strategic moves that we've made because that sets us on a good course here for the next 10 or 15 years with all 737s sir. That was 100
0: hard orders, is that right? Uh, more orders? more
2: than that. But I think the main thing is if it's a commitment to that max 737. Yeah, And yeah. with um, oh, I think we'll I think we'll have hundreds more 737s. We'll have right now our plan is for over 100 for next year. Mm. New ones. New ones. Net gains. D- well, g- gross purchases. Okay, and then we'll have some number of retirements net of that. But still, it's a bunch of airplanes. Yeah, wow! So it's well well ahead of hundred airplanes. In do you words. think
1: you got a better deal with Boeing just because you even considered Airbus? Though they do say competition, you know, makes it oh, better. always. Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it, yeah absolutely. Uh, the 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 worst thing is to try to deal with a monopolist, and so <laughs> uh, and, um, but the best thing for us right now is all Boeing. And that's where we ended up. So we ended up at a a really good place. Boeing's happy. We're happy. And, um, you know, at some point we'll likely have something other than a Boeing 737, but the line of sight again, for years, 50 more destinations, hundreds more airplanes, it's just way out there. So I like the fact that we're focused and we, we have opportunities to to continue doing our thing that we've been doing for 50 years. It's uh it's unfinished business so to speak
1: gary i want to ask you about high-speed rail between houston and dallas we just spoke to the ceo uh from that project not long ago they want to base the fare for that fast train uh that's still being talked about uh on what you all charge uh, to go between the cities is that a threat to southwest airlines is that something that the airline will push back really hard to keep from happening here in texas well there's no reason for um, you know it's
2: sort of the equivalent of saying if, if, a, if an airline wants to come in and, and add flights, would we push back on that? Well, of course not. I think what um, Herb Kelleher pushed back on in the 1980s was subsidized, you know, government-funded uh, high-speed rail, and we'd push back on, on that or another
1: airline being subsidized unfairly. And so if they get, like, infrastructure money, that would be something that would bother?
2: Well, it it, it has to be it has to be pro rata, you know, if you're going to, otherwise it's just unfair competition, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it works in, in Europe. Um, I don't, you know, one would have to investigate whether it's profitable. You know, it, it, what I had always, uh, understood is that there wasn't a profitable high-speed rail system in the world. Mm. So you do have, you, you do have a long history of airline profitability, but, but I'm not informed on that. It's not an issue for us. Uh, is it a competitive threat? Uh, the car is a competitive threat in that sense. So, yeah, it would be, um, it, it would definitely be something that we would have to pay attention to. But in terms of lobbying to prevent it, as, hey, you know, as long as it's fair and square, why, you know, hmm. that's what we're all about. I mean, people didn't like Southwest and tried to kill it in the early days. And, that turned out to be a mistake on their part, you know, so, uh, no, we're all for competition and very pro
1: consumer that right amendment couldn't hold you down forever. No,
2: no. And although we still have restrictions there, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. Gary's, uh, Southwest gave employees until November the 24th to get vaccinated or apply for an exemption. How many employees have done neither? Well, we're now the deadline has been pushed.
2: So it's, uh, we actually now have until January the 4th by the federal government. So, We've made excellent progress. Uh, we're we're not done, and so we've got some employees. It's in the single digits at least who have not responded. Uh, but again, the deadline is is has now been moved to January fourth. So uh, we've we've we still have some work to do.
0: You said you're not going to fire anybody over this. What would happen to those people if if you can't get through to them if they don't apply for an exemption, or if they don't get the vaccination? What what happens to those? Single-digit employees.
2: Well, I think we just have to work through all of that. Um, I, I think worst case, you can't work. If you can't work, you can't get paid. You know, would would be there's there's a discipline process with our collective bargaining uh, agreements that we go through uh, these kinds of uh, non-compliance issues. But what obviously what I'm striving to do is be patient with our people and get. As many people vaccinated as we possibly can. I've consistently been on on the record saying that that is what our society needs to do. But at the same time, I don't feel like I, I should impose that on our employees. So it's being mandated by the federal government in order for us to remain a federal contractor, and that's a non-choice. We we can't we can't walk away from that. There's no way, and I'm not going to. Um, so that that's where it leaves us. And we've tried to be fair in evaluating the accommodation request for medical or religious uh, reasons for an exemption. And there's just strongly held, held uh, feelings about that. But, uh, you know, there's some other companies that have taken the position like we have, and we haven't had a furlough or a layoff in 50 years. The last thing I want to do is, is,
1: um, you know, have that happen because of this, uh, this vaccine mandate. You didn't even have it during the pandemic, uh, the worst of the pandemic, which is extraordinary when you think about that. Uh, that has to be a, a big source of pride for you as it you is. go around the state celebrating 50 years yeah. of never having to do yeah, that. It,
2: it is. And, you know, we, as a part of that, of course, we were successful. We were financially successful and had 47 consecutive years of profits. And, um, and you know, and here we are. So we can't, you know, you, you just can't lament the fact that we have a pandemic, but at least we were well-prepared for it hmm. and have been able to fight our way through it did you get close to layoffs So, how close did that get I, I don't think we would, would have ever had a layoff hmm. uh, we we I was concerned when you know at some point you if, if the government isn't going to provide assistance you just have to stop the bleeding hmm. and so what I wanted us to do was again have everybody share in that sacrifice together. So we were in the process of negotiating with our unions uh, to do that. You gave up your salary too. I, I you know, but that, that's that's what you do, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but the, uh, but fortunately, you know, the assistance came through. It helped all the airlines. Probably, arguably, helped our competitors more than it helped us. Mm-hmm because uh, I think we were better better prepared for this than anybody else was uh, from a balance sheet perspective. Did you ever think, man, we should have charged for baggage? We could have had all that extra money in the bank.
1: No. Never crossed my mind. You know, mind. because
2: I don't believe that that's true. I think that we actually generate more revenue through brand loyalty mm. by not nickel and diming our customers. There was a period of time, you know, this started in 2008. There was a period of time where the industry kind of stood still with capacity. And um, you could actually measure the change in market share. It was one of the easier times to do that. And our share went up two percentage points. And we did nothing other than we didn't charge bag fees. And so another way to say it is, you know, it takes five bags to to overcome one lost customer. And maybe today customers are more willing to pay them, but... um, you know, I think we're the one airline that uh, that, that can make this case. Mm-hmm. And you just look at our, again, you look at our profit and revenue performance, and uh, it supports my argument. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just never hurts to lean towards a customer. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody likes to feel like they're getting a raw deal. That's a great
0: quote. Never hurts it, to lean towards a the customer.
1: They're going to put that on a napkin, Gary. Yeah, right. Here, here's my last question
0: for you, Gary. Uh, looking back at your time at Southwest and just your career in total, Proudest moment and and biggest regret?
2: Well, I think the proudest moment is 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 what we've been talking about, just the fact that we've been able to make it 50 years and especially here, the pandemic without a a, a layoff or a furlough. So um, I certainly don't want to have that happen because somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated. You know, there's just a logical extension of that. And so we'll work hard to avoid that. Um, Biggest regret. Wow. you know i i i i guess human beings are sort of geared toward to not think that way but um we're aggressive by nature and um you know sometimes uh i probably got ahead of myself a little bit i, I think you know the expansion uh this year or you know trying to restore our flight activity uh yeah i wish i had taken a more graduated uh, measured uh, approach to that Um, and we had some initiatives in the past that were dependent upon some technology uh, and 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 didn't work you know so we had some airline partnerships as an example but um, in the end those kind of worked out okay as well because we weren't going to serve mexico we still don't serve canada but eventually we plan to so Instead of having another airline partner with us, we're doing it ourselves. And I think, uh, you know, that that all worked out okay. But so, not, so, not too many regrets.
1: So, so you're done being CEO in February. Do you have your eye on maybe any other big jobs
2: out there? Well, I'm still going to have a big job, at least for Gary. And I'm, I'm going to be executive chairman at Southwest. Mm-hmm. But uh, nothing else? I'll change my, uh, you know, I, I don't want to add anything else right now. Uh, because I'd like to go deeper in the other things that I'm involved with. And um, But I also want to see what, what my new responsibilities are like. It's hard to be CEO and be truly uh, strategic in terms of thinking about what's next around the corner. And uh, our former president, Tom Nealon, uh, who, who still works with Southwest and I are, are going to do that. And I don't know if it's the Southwest venture uh, capital kind of a thought, but. Um, it it, 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 I've just it's it's just not been been time or capacity to do those kinds of things. Are you going to be
1: at the place close here to San Antonio where you grew up? Uh, are you moving? No, no,
2: no. I have uh, four granddaughters in the Dallas area. Oh, which well, they're going to keep you right Prohibit there. that? Yeah, right. That's that, uh, that's, that's my wife would sure. never would hear hear of that, and uh, that would be a dumb idea on my part as well. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll spend more time at the ranch too. I've got lots of mesquite to eliminate chop through I, I think i'd
1: rather be in a boardroom than have to do all that <laughs> uh, gary last thing from me do you have a herb kelleher story for us uh, a, a favorite uh from over the years since we're at the bar where it, where all, it all began yeah. well as it says on the napkin where it all began
2: well uh, first of all every story that you've ever heard about him <laughs> is true number one <laughs> which is stunning uh, <laughs> oh gosh i um you know, I, I, I won't I won't use profanity here on your show because I know it's a family Herb would, show. Her no, would though. her probably would. Yeah, would. <laughs> but I'll tell you two quick stories. So uh, one is um, I was um, chief financial officer at a very young age, and so after I'd been CFO for uh, about two years, we were going to raise uh, money for the first time. It was a big deal uh, for me. So you go in those days, you go out and you do a road show, meaning you know you meet with these the uh, investors. And it's not the normal folks that you you deal with. It's not the analysts you're talking to. You know the investors and big, big audiences. And I did most of that work myself. But on a on a deal like this, it involved the big guys. So you know, and Herb and I spent a lot of time on the road together. So we go, and it's the very first meeting that we're having. This is early 1992, and um, the managing director of this firm out of Boston was a, uh, a former Marine, and he, he, he made sure that you knew that. And he had a very commanding presence. So we sit down, and we've got our investment banker on one side, I'm on the other, and Herb. I'm sitting next to Herb, and the Marine is at the head of the table. And um, I don't know, there's probably 30 people in the room. So he goes, look, the SEC basically has rules for you to tell us what we need to know. And uh, I want the truth. And I don't want any bull BS, okay? And I, I, just, I just, my head was in my hands. <laughs> this, this was, it's gonna be a disaster because everybody thinks that Herb is all fun and games, but he is more than willing to grab you by the shirt collar and punch you in the nose, you yeah. know? So I had no idea how he was gonna react to this very direct demand. Wow. And Herb, all Herb said was, well, I've been rendered mute. <laughs> really? And that's all he said. Wow. And just everybody laughed, and it was all fun and games. Wow. And I asked him about that later. He said, oh, yeah, he and I became pals. He was a good friend. And so it all worked That's out great. great. Now Herb uh, kill her rendered mute. Rendered mute, yeah. <laughs> which was not true. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think. Yeah, right. But uh, uh, Herb and I uh, would hunt together. Hmm. And I don't know why I deserved this, but I always ended up being his roommate. Hmm. And that... That is a sentence. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, it was in some ways because in other ways it wasn't so bad because he would go to bed when the sun was coming up. So a lot of times you had the whole room wow. to yourself, you know. But wow. uh, yeah, he didn't show up one night, and um, it was we were in a cabin that had two other bedrooms in it, and I thought, well, and and they were vac- they were vacated uh, that night, so. I said, well, that was very considerate of him, you know, not to come in and wake me up. Mm-hmm. So I poke my head in bedroom number one, and that bed's made up. Nobody had slept there. So I go into bedroom number two. That has also not been slept in. I thought, oh, now I'm really, I'm, I'm really toast. <laughs> And uh, Colleen Barrett is really, because I'm supposed to look out after him. You're watching you know. Herb, yeah. You're keeping track of him. So uh, I go running for, you know, looking for him. And I find the uh, ranch manager, and um, I said, have you seen Herb? He said, oh, yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's over there having breakfast. Well, he was, sure enough, he <laughs> stayed up all night. He had two hats on and was carrying on with um, General Jim McDivitt, who was Jeez. the commander of Gemini 8, you know. Wow. So, um, so we were on an industry uh, event, and
0: there are a lot of colorful stories about the oh, character. You need to write a book. <laughs> yeah, you, you should. <laughs> I know you'll have a
1: book out right now for fifty years, but you need to write another book.
0: Gary, congratulations on retirement. We're, we're, we're honored that you were, uh, you know, able to spend some time with us, and we're uh, I'm stoked about being here at this bar too. I, I, I've a lot of history. I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, it's great. Congratulations on all your successes too. Yeah. What since a long 2004, run. I mean, yeah. think about what all Southwest has become since 04. And it's because of you, Gary.
2: Well, I think our people deserve all that credit. I appreciate you all saying that. And I love the work that you guys do, too. I'm big fans. of well the done. Two Jasons. Thank you.
1: <laughs> we recorded that, right?
2: We got oh, that? Yeah, we got it, right? <laughs> Play that back Gary for the, the boss. Gary was fantastic, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all.